0: This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. I'm not a numbers person. I'm not good at math. Any math people here? you know who you are. Yeah. Math person, sister gave out sister, math person. Nathan's all about the math, does the math. So we were math. That's okay. Own it. Be proud of it. You do math. I I did words. I'm a word person. Handle words, like words. Victoria's like, that's right. I do words. I am blessed with the fact that I am married to someone who's good at math. The boys are blessed that they are married to someone, that I am married to someone who does math. They're married. (laughs) They know the difference between, hey, when there's a question about homework, who do I go talk to? If it's math, we go to mom. We just don't ask dad. the only math that I was ever good at was calculating how long it would take mom and dad to get home after a date. This is an important skill. Okay? This is an important skill. Because I know it would take them 45 minutes to get to Erie. It would take them an hour to eat. It would take 45 minutes to get back. That meant we had a certain window when it was time to start cleaning the house. This is what we needed to do. We could calculate what needed to happen in a certain period of time because we knew mom and dad were coming back. Do you know how to do that kind of math? Do you know how to do that kind of math when it comes to the return of Jesus? Can you do that math? Wait a second. As a follower of Jesus, I profess a creed And part of that creed is a belief that he's coming again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty and, say it, will come again to judge the living and the dead. Doesn't that mean that I should probably do the math? Meaning, act a certain way, walk a certain way, talk a certain way, live a certain way. But the question is, when? Is it today? Because if you go through enough days, you're kind of like, it's probably not going to be today. (laughs) Right? It wasn't yesterday. When the day before that, that would have been nice. Probably won't be today. And so you will live today based on how you've done the math. Wouldn't you live differently if you knew it was today? In our house, a a common question gets thrown around. It's a great question. It's a loving question. How was your day? How was your day? I walk in the door. My sons get home normally before I do. Dad, how was your day? I love the fact that my sons asked me that. Now I'll talk, hey, I had this kind of day. I said, how was your day? And normally it's, it's, it's the balance between drama and no drama, right? Let's be honest. Normally when you evaluate the day, it's based on, hey, the good outweighed the drama. But what if we learn to evaluate that question in light of doing the math? Meaning, did I live in light of his return? We're looking at a passage in Matthew, in Matthew 24, where Jesus presents us with two ways of living, two types of days. We've been reading through the book of Matthew together as we go towards Resurrection Sunday. We've been in this season of Lent, which is a season of preparation, of going out into the wilderness and letting God prepare our heart, reveal our heart, show us what's on the inside and how important that is. We've learned about carrying our cross. We've learned about the things that war against us. And what it means to be faithful. And how we're invited into community. But today let's talk about the work. Doing the math. Living accordingly. Many of us, some of us as Christians, like to ask the question, is he coming back today? Is this the sign that he's coming back today? Is he coming back? He's coming back today, isn't he? This is the sign of the end times. There's entire church traditions and books and and CDs and podcasts and conferences built around someone who had a vision to say, I'm telling you, it's now. I remember when I was in high school, Hussein, Iraq, desert storm. People were saying, hey, this is the sign. This is the end. This is the end. Look, war in the Middle East. There's always been war in the Middle East. Y2K, how many of you remember Y2K? Remember Y2K? That was the end, right? That was the end. I was at Cedarville at college and John MacArthur was there and speaking and someone stood up in the conference. This is the end, right? And John just kind of like, really? Ebola, you remember Ebola, right? That's the end. This is the end. It's Ebola. It's the end now. Mean tweet Trump. This is the end. He's going to usher in the end. This is the sign of the end times, right? Trump's the sign of the end. COVID. Remember that? That's the sign. This is the sign of the end. COVID. That's the sign of the end. Look, it's the end times, right? Pastor look, COVID China, Joe, that's the sign of the end, right? Pastor. That's the sign of the end. Putin, that's the sign of the end, right, pastor? That's the sign of the end. When I do a political joke, I just try to make sure I get everybody all on the same one. That's all. <laughs> I just want to offend everybody. That's why I hit both sides of the aisle. So when I get emails, I kind of like cancel them out. Oh, there's a Democrat one. or oh, there's a Republican one. I'm good. <laughs> and you've even come up to me. Some of you have come up to me. This is the sign of the end, right, pastor? This is the sign of the end, Right? We have to be careful because buried in that question is a very sneaky habit. If it's not the end, I can keep living my way, right? Because if he's not coming back today, can I still do my thing? It's dangerous. Matthew 24 is clumped together with uh, chapter 21, 22, 23, 24, and 25. They're a part of the Bible I wish weren't there. It's part of the Bible you wish wasn't there. You don't want it to be there. You don't want to read some of the things that Jesus says in that passage. You don't want to be confronted with that kind of Jesus. You don't like that Jesus. You don't want that Jesus. I don't want that Jesus. I want a Jesus that I can control and manipulate and bend and put wherever I want. That's the I want Gumby Jesus. Right? How many of you remember Gumby? Right? And some of you owned a Gumby and you could bend Gumby and and fold Gumby and, and make Gumby do whatever you wanted. You could leave Gumby in the sandbox five years later, come back, Gumby is still there. That's the kind of Jesus I want. I want a Jesus where I can just leave him where I want him, bend him however I want him, and there he is. That's my Jesus. I do not want the Jesus in this passage because this Jesus is authoritative. This Jesus demands something of me. This Jesus expects something of me. This Jesus is a dangerous Jesus to my brokenness and the self-deceit I like to live in. Which I think makes it a very good passage for Lent. As we're learning to prepare our hearts and minds. Because he breaks through the culture. He confronts the structures of power. And the hidden lies that dwell in our hearts. And so it's okay if you squirm a little bit. It's okay if you don't like me. I'll sleep well tonight. But let's see what Jesus has to say. Matthew 24... I'm going to read verses 36 through 51. If you're watching online, uh, we'll have the verses there for you to follow along and check in with the host that's there. Uh, Please let us know that you're here. It just gives us a chance to encourage you and pray for you and come alongside of you. Matthew 24, 36 through 51. Let me read it and then we're going to unpack it together. Matthew 24. Jesus has uh, just condemned the power structures in Jerusalem. He's poked the bear, if you will. He's he's condemned the actions of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he's even said, listen, this old temple that you see, the city, it's all getting torn down. It's going to get destroyed. It's going to be hell on earth. And you ain't going to want to be around when it happens. And so one evening on a day between his triumphal entry on Sunday and his crucifixion on Friday, his disciples come to him in the middle of the garden in the evening and say, hey, when? When is all this going to happen? When's the end going to be that you keep talking about? This is what Jesus says. Matthew 24, verses 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Stop. Okay, I'm going to read it again. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. The preacher who shows up at 3 a.m. on the TV show saying, if you buy my holy water, I'll let you know when he's coming back, is lying to you. The books that proclaim they know when he's coming back are lying to you. No one knows. He says, you're asking the wrong question. You're asking a when question. You need to be asking a how question. No one knows. The angels in heaven, the son, only the father knows. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the son of man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. They were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the son of man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake. You do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake. He would not have left his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, He will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master's delayed. He begins to beat his fellow servants, eats and drinks with drunkards. The master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. At an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and will put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus presents uh, two types of days, if you will, two ways of living. And we're going to compare and contrast those. So if you take out your notes this morning, we're going to do a little day one versus day two. What are the qualities of this type of day, the qualities of that type of day? And how will I know which way I'm living? And Jesus kind of gives vignette after vignette after vignette, three different scenes and, and responses that help us answer the question of how. Not win. Help us do the math. So the first illustration, he talks about the days of Noah. Let's look at that together. I'm going to read verses 36 down through 42. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in a field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know what day... Lord is coming. When we're thinking about the return of the son of man, the return of Jesus, he says, have the story of Noah and the flood in the back of your mind. God had warned Noah, judgment is coming. Natural disaster like you've never seen it before. You need to be prepared. You need to do this work. And Noah goes about proclaiming and preaching to the masses. Hey, destruction's on the way. He says, some people, Hear that and they continue distracted while some are diligent. Let's write that down together. Day one, people are distracted. Day two, people, day number two, those people live diligent. To be distracted is to be unaware. There's weddings to get ready for and there's shoppings to do and there's things to happen. Oh crazy Noah, he just keeps talking and he's been talking yesterday, he was talking the day before that and he's talking the day before that and I ain't seen no rain anywhere. They're distracted. Not heeding and not mindful. While Noah and his family were diligent at the task that God had given them. And the flood came. How did their day end? For those who are unaware and unheeding and unmindful, how did their day end? Verse 42: Therefore, stay awake, he says, for you do not know at what hour the Lord is coming. Stay awake. Be diligent. He gives another illustration. Talks about a homeowner, a guy who owns a house. Verse 43 through 44. But know this, that if this master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and not left his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. First he said, stay awake. Now he says, be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour... You do not expect. Day one, people are unprepared. Day two, people are prepared. Day one, people are unprepared. Versus day two, people live prepared. He says, a guy has a house. And maybe you're like me or someone in your house does this, but when it's time for bed, someone goes around checks the doors and checks the windows and checks the lights to make sure because we're we're moving in tonight. And you don't know what night brings, so you want to make sure that the house is prepared. Imagine if you knew tonight someone's going to try to break into the house. You will act a certain way. You will prepare a certain way. But maybe for the course of of our discussion today, we could understand the house to be our heart. How about that? The same diligence that you take to guard and keep your home. Let's revisit that idea of the heart. A few weeks ago, we did a whole discussion on the heart, and I don't want to retell that. You can go to the website and listen in. But what is it that would keep someone from being diligent in preparing their heart? What is it that would keep someone from doing what needs to be done? Because there are thieves that want to break in and there are people that want to compromise and destroy and upset the home that is our dwelling place with God. The Desert Fathers would call it acedia or sloth. I introduced that idea last week. Acedia literally means a lack of love or a lack of care. As you look at your home. If you do not protect it and care for it and and do what needs to be done, it's because you don't care what's in it, right? I don't Thieves are coming, I don't care. Help themselves, take whatever they want. But if you are mindful to protect and to care and to lock it up and ensure its safety and, and all those who dwell Why? Because there is a presence of love. There's a, there's a manifestation of concern. So I prepare it for whatever might happen. I put forth great effort. Your faith calls for Effort. There are certain things that you should do to nurture it. Not effort to get Jesus' love, effort to respond to his love. Treasuring. I mean, transport it into, it's like a marriage relationship. Maybe you're married, maybe you're not. Does it take effort to have a good marriage? If you say no, I'll try to help. Doesn't it take effort? Yeah. Diligence, mindfulness. One writer named Kathleen Norris said this about married love. She said, married life, married love is eternal. Meaning there is this, 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 Poetry and passion about married love that, that that we strive for and are so attracted towards. But she goes on to say this. But it's also daily. About as daily and unromantic as housekeeping. Yeah. That's a part of it, isn't it? The house needs to be kept. The dishes need to be washed. The laundry needs to be taken care of. The floor needs to be swept. There's things that you have to do to nurture the marriage. There's things that ought to be done to nurture faith. That call for effort. A preparation. A passage that that I've carried with me for almost 20 years. In fact, it's in a frame in front of my desk and to understand that passage is to understand me a little bit is in second Peter chapter one. In second Peter chapter one, I'm going to read from verse three down through verse 10. And this is the idea that Peter is entering into the effort and diligence God has provided for you in the gracious provision of the gospel everything that you need to have an amazing, abundant faith. He's not holding anything back. There's not some good stuff for some Christians and everyone else just has to grovel. Everything is provided that you might become partakers of the divine nature. A storehouse, if you will. That your faith might be abundant. For this reason, verse five, he says make every effort, effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self control. Self control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, with brotherly affection, love. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted, he's blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling. Let me illustrate it it, uh, this way. Uh, Brian Cron, who's in the the first service, Brian's a farmer. And I, I asked him, I said, Brian, when is it time to start fertilizing the fields? He's like, oh, you fertilize it in the fall, you fertilize it in the spring, you get the fields ready. I says, okay. Let us imagine then that I come to Brian. I say, Brian, I have placed in your storehouses, in your barns, everything that you need to have an amazing, vibrant bumper harvest this year. I've given you the right seed. I've given you the right fertilizer. I've given you everything that you need so that harvest will be amazing. I've held nothing back. I've provided it. All you have to do is what? Go tap into it. Seed that field. Fertilize that field. And yet some of us We'll walk around and looks. and well, look at their faith, God. Why can't I have a faith like that? Oh, God, look at their gifts. Why can't I have gifts like that? Oh, God, look at that. Why can't I be like that? You make every effort. I have provided everything that you need, but you make every effort to supplement, to fertilize, to nurture your heart with these things. Virtue. Knowledge. Patience and self-control. Perseverance. Godliness. Brotherly affection and love. These are the things that you are to strive for. To supplement. And if you do that, your faith will yield a bumper crop. This is the effort. This is how you prepare. And yet some will live unprepared in light of Christ's return. How do you think their day ended? How do you think their day ended? So he says in verse 44, in Matthew, be ready. In the one illustration, he said, be steadfast, stay awake. You also need to be ready. Let's keep reading. He gives us another um, illustration to wrestle with. This is in verse 45 through 51. He talks about servants, two types of servants. Okay. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? Servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master's delayed. And begins to beat his fellow servants. Eats and drinks with drunkards. The master of that servant will come. On a day when he does not expect him. At an hour he does not know. And will cut him in pieces. And put him with the hypocrites. In that place where there is weeping. And gnashing of teeth. Day one distracted. Diligent. Unprepared. Prepared. And when we look at these two servants, we have fake and faithful. Day one describes a fake servant. Day two describes a faithful servant. Maybe write that down. The fake servant spends his day abusing other workers in the house. Spends his day getting drunk and partying with outsiders. He puts off the mindset and the idea that the master could come back at any second. And as a result, he is sent to be where the hypocrites are. What's a hypocrite? Somebody who's fake. They show it on the outside, but on the inside, there is nothing there. They're not a faithful servant. They're a fake servant. Versus the faithful day, the faithful servant is doing that which the master asked him to do. I've placed you over my house to nurture and care for those in the house. And so when the master comes back, that servant is doing what the master said to be doing. He's a faithful servant. In this is a humble warning, specifically to leaders. Because he's talking to his disciples, his disciples who will become apostles, who will start the church. So I'm putting you over the care of my house. Please be found doing those things when I get back. Nurture them, care for them, love them, confront them, walk with them, cry with them, do the good work of an under-shepherd. Tonight we have an elders meeting, so I get together with Aaron, and I get together with Doug, and I get together with Adam, we sit around the table, and and tonight we'll open up the book. The book lists everybody in the church, all 251 of you. This time we look at the book, there's some new names that weren't there the last time we ran the book. There's people serving in new ways and giving in new ways and engaging in new ways. It's exciting to see these marks of life. And we gather and we pray over and we celebrate what God's doing in people's lives. Well, at the same time, there's some names in the book that are gone now for their reasons, which is fine. Or serving has changed. Or attitudes have changed. And there's area for pastoral concern. Because something's not right. Or there's something that's come along from the outside. And so we pray over. And are mindful of. Because I will be found doing what my master asked me to do. But don't let that excuse you. Well, I don't have to do that because I'm not a pastor. I can be a jerk. I can be a jerk. If you read ahead in chapter 25, the hallmark description of what divides a sheep from a goat when it comes to the final judgment is the presence of love. He divides the sheep and the goats. He divides the faithful from the fake. And what is he rooted in? I was in prison and you didn't see me. I was naked, you didn't clothe me. I was hungry, you didn't feed me. when did we see you in jail? And when did we see you naked? And when did we see you, you know, not having food? When you didn't do it to the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. for they will know you by your love. So whether you're a pastor and you're overseeing 106 families, or you're a husband and a wife, a mother, a father overseeing one family, or whether you're just overseeing yourself, your own garden, be faithful. Be faithful. Be diligent. Preparing the garden of your heart For the fake servant, he has his own motto. You know what a motto is? It's a Latin term. It means to mumble. It means word, short phrase, a grunt. So before we charge into war, we say, we all say, that's a motto. It kind of defines the ethos of a group. But what does this guy say to himself? What does the fake servant say to himself? What's his internal motto? What does he say? The master is delayed. Write that down. He's delayed. He's delayed. That would kind of change how you act, wouldn't it? If you kind of told yourself that every morning, don't worry. He's not coming back today. Dad's coming back. Nah, not today. You're going to fix a hole in the wall? Don't worry about it. Dad's not coming back today. He's, He's delayed versus the faithful servant I would imagine would say something else. He's coming today. The faithful servant, day two? What does he tell himself? Herself when she wakes up, what does she say? He's coming today. Living by that motto will definitely change your choices that day, that morning. The faithful servant. His day, her day is defined by what? Diligence and being prepared and being faithful. Versus the fake servant. Culminating in what judgment? Culminating in what judgment? For the fake servant, it ends in destruction. For the faithful servant, You'll experience God's blessing. That's the contrast. Blessed, verse forty-six. Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. What does the master say to the wicked servant? Will cut him in pieces. Put him in with the hypocrites in that place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, that phrase jacked me up all week. Cut him in pieces? Really? That's kind of, that's probably just hyperbole. You know, Jesus, if you call his bluff, you'll probably be fine. Because surely that's not the posture of our king. But that phrase, it haunted me all week. Cut in pieces, cut in pieces, cut in pieces. Like it's, it got stuck in there the way it's intended to, right? It got stuck, and I couldn't. And so I'm reading through the Psalms because I love to read through the Psalms. I try to read through the Psalms on a weekly basis. I want those words inside of me. And I get to Psalm 50. Okay, and I'm going to read it for you. This is Psalm 50. <sighs> Complete conjecture. I have no idea if this is true. But it sounds a lot, as I listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 24, if he didn't have Psalm 50 on the brain. Let me read it for you. Psalm 50. The mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes. He does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire. Around him a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness for God himself is judge. Verse 7, hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I'm not accept a bull from your house or goats from your fold. For every beast of the forest is mine. Cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills. All that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls? Do I drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Perform your vows to the most high. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will glorify me. But to the wicked, God says... What right have you to recite my statutes or to take my covenant on your lips? You hate discipline. You cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you're pleased with him. You keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free rein for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother, you slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I have been silent. You thought I was one like yourself. But now I rebuke you, and I lay the charge before you. Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart, and there be none to deliver. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me to the one who orders his way rightly. I will show the salvation of God. Reader's digest of Psalm 50 flows like this. God is coming. God is coming as judge. It is his right to judge. It's an aspect of who he is. He brings heaven before him. He brings earth before him. He brings the people before him. He says, listen, he's speaking to Israel in this moment. He says, hey, Your burnt sacrifices, I don't eat them. I'm not hungry. I don't need that. A burnt sacrifice was a daily obligation where the priest would bring sacrifices before God. It was an annual obligation where the faithful would come and bring sacrifice before God. And God's like, this this does not mean what you think it means. Instead, he says, bring me an offering of thanksgiving. A burnt offering and an offering of thanksgiving are two different sacrifices in the Torah. The offering of thanksgiving was a spontaneous offering. You weren't obligated to give it. It was purely out of relationship and love that you would bring that to God. And you'd come, to the, you'd come to the tabernacle and you'd bring a sacrifice, a portion would go into the, the tabernacle and then you and your family would go off someplace, maybe underneath a tree or you'd gather around a blanket and you would have a meal together. But you did not have a meal alone. You'd go over to the tabernacle and ask one of the priests, would you like to eat with us please? We're giving thanks to all that God has done. You would look around the community. You would find the poor amongst you. Say, hey, would you like to come and eat with us? We're giving thanks for what our God has done. And in this psalm, God is contrasting two hearts. And what he says is, a heart of thanksgiving a heart that loves and welcomes others. A heart of hospitality and a heart of love. Mm. Mm. That's what I want. That's what I want. Fake? Let me know how that day ends. I think Jesus brings this forward. These last few days before his crucifixion, last few days before he will be taken away. And he speaks to the disciple. He confronts us with hypocrisy and asks us, which type of day will you live? To tie all this up, I want to give you the gift of a question. I think questions can be really helpful. Good questions can be really helpful. Some questions are stupid. I believe this is a good question. And I'm speaking purely from a personal place because this is a question that's haunted me since I've been working and preparing for Sunday morning. So in the very bottom of your notes... The question is this. Was this a good day for Jesus to come back? As you lie down and get ready to fall asleep, Maybe you read Psalm 91 or you anchor yourself in the reality of God's goodness. Ask yourself that question and it will jack you up. Was this a good day for Jesus to come back as I reflect on how I treated my spouse, how I talked to my kids? Was this a good time for him to come back as I reflect on what I did on the internet, as I talked to my employer, as I paid my bills, as I dressed? Was this a good moment for Jesus to come back in the room? And you might start to rethink things in a different way. Because a faithful servant is diligent and prepared. Faithful. Faithful. And what that question does at the night in night is it primes the pump For a sense of diligence when you wake up in the morning. Because in the morning you're gonna shift your motto. It's not gonna be he's delayed, I don't have to think about it. Now you're gonna start telling yourself, He come today. He's coming today. And so when I speak and I act and I spend and I work and I love, I'm gonna make sure in that moment when my Jesus comes back, he will find me doing that which he has called me to do. I will prepare my life as a sacrifice for my God so that I might hear, well done, good and faithful servant. My challenge to you is ask yourself that question for 21 days. 21 nights. Before you go to bed, let the Spirit guide you through the day. You might have those days where you're like, yeah, I was faithful. I worked hard on my faith. I prepared my heart. I pursued virtue and knowledge. And I loved others. And I was mindful of my neighbor. And I was generous before God and served him obediently. Yes, today was a good day. Praise God. That's awesome. Awesome. You might find out, man, that was close. I'm glad it wasn't today. If he had walked in when I was having that argument with my wife, if he had walked in when I said that to my kid, if he had walked in when I, well, whatever. For I believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son. And so it takes me to a place of confession, honest confession that keeps the heart right before God. I humbly confess I've sinned against you in thought and word and deed by what I've done and what I've left undone. I've not loved you with my whole heart. I've not loved my neighbor as myself. I'm truly sorry, and I humbly repent. Thank you for sharing your time with us, and we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again... Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our HOPE team would reach out quickly, promptly, to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. That's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions.